think I managed to get through point number one of a five-point sermon. So um, we're doing part two today. Um, and it's going to be on the screen as well. Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 19. And that is on page 1106 of the Church Bibles. 1106. 1104 and 1105. Correction. I stand correct. Thank you. <laughs> Here we go. Let's, um, let's read these words. God's words. Um, it's... It's true, and even just reading it, it speaks to us, whether I explain it or not. <laughs> so let, let's let it speak to us. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, and they began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had, uh, what the grace of God had done, he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for the whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this, um, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was named Agabus, um, and stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the center of the Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each, um, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Lord Fathers, we come to your word now. We thank you for it. We thank you it's true. Thank you it's living and active. Thank you, Lord, that it is able to teach us, challenge us, and change us. And Lord, I pray that we would enjoy hearing from it today and that we would be moved to change and to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do we have... Can I grab the clicker? Brilliant. Back as it works. Brilliant. <coughs> Bear with me. Sorry, I've got a bit of a bad throat today. So, how this goes. Well, um, if you're joining us today and it's your first time, welcome to you. If it's one of the first few times you've been here, welcome to you. And if you're regular here, welcome to you. You're all very welcome. Um, it's great to see you. Um, so we've been looking at over the last six weeks um, what it means to be the people of God, that's followers of Jesus, people that love Jesus, that are now part of his family, uh, what it means to be also then on the mission of God, if we are the people of God, we've been called to a great mission. We saw that at the start of Acts chapter 1, didn't we? That Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit, and then when it arrives, you're going to go out to everywhere. You're going to start in Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and then to the whole, the ends of the earth. And we've done kind of like a whistle-stop tour 
of things that were going on. We, we stopped in Acts chapter 2, and we're looking at uh, what was the early church like when they received the Holy Spirit? How did they, um, how were they? What, what were they like? What happened? And we stopped in Acts 2, um, uh, verses 42 to 47, and we saw this community that were gathering together in the temple courts, but then also scattering into their homes, and they were a healthy community. And the whole point of this sermon series has been to look at what does it mean for us to be a healthy community, to be the people of God on the mission of God, but living in our close-knit communities, our gospel communities, where we're on the mission of God together, wanting to see people saved, where he uses us in his plan. Isn't that amazing that we are used in God's plan to make disciples? It's him that does it through his spirit, but he uses each and every single one of you sitting here in this room. What a purpose. What a purpose. And I just want to encourage us in that, that we have been put in this place at this time for a purpose. You have been put wherever you are at this time for a purpose. You're on God's mission, whatever you're doing. Whether you're in a job you love, a job you hate, an indifferent job, not in a job, whatever it may be, you've been given a purpose in the here and now. I want to encourage you in that, whether you're staying here as part of Oikos or whether you're going back somewhere else. You've got a mission. You are part of God's family, and you have been given a purpose and a mission. And so we spent some time just, just, just looking at what would it mean for us to be this healthy community. We saw that there were people shaped by God's word. The, the, the center of them was Jesus Christ. They, the, the, that was their worldview was purely seen through the world of Jesus Christ being their savior. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they go and do amazing things. They are radically generous, radically generous. Generosity that spreads out across, not just to Jews, but to, to, to the Greeks, to everybody, to the Gentiles. They were generous to everybody. They didn't let anybody go to bed that was part of the Christian community without a roof over their head or being fed. Isn't that amazing? We want to be that community, that, that, that we want to be the people of God that are, that are radically generous, that are shaped by God's word, that are intensely praying for things for God to work. And we looked at that last week, didn't we? We saw that a key component of seeing these community groups that we've got um, sort of like going out there and, and uh, multiplying, seeing churches planted across this great city of Birmingham, across the world, needs to be centered on prayer, intense prayer. I just want to encourage you, this week, um, we, um, I'll say, was it intense prayer? Does five minutes of prayer count as intense prayer? I'm not too sure. But we committed to, uh, to, to praying at 8.30 to 9 every single day here, and everyone's, anyone's invited to that for the cafe. We were just convicted that we need to pray more for the cafe. And um, we knew that we needed some volunteers. Five people are leaving. We're very sad that you're leaving. And that leaves a massive hole in what's happening in the cafe. And so I wrote up on the prayer board, rubbed it all off, wrote up on the prayer board, and I got to volunteers needing the cafe, and I started praying. And within, literally within five minutes, Alex walked in, didn't realize I was praying. Um, and he just said, oh, oh I see you, got, you want volunteers for the cafe. I met someone last night, and here's his number. Can you just text him? He'd love to come in and see you this week about volunteering. Okay. At the same time, Johanna, thank you. You walked in for work experience. Literally within a minute of that. And then I went downstairs, and then someone came to meet me to say, oh, I'd love to be able to volunteer in the cafe on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Friday. And guess what? Those are the three days that we desperately need people, starting this Tuesday. God, I'm going to hold it together, is good. He answers prayer. And we still need a lot of prayer, so we still need more. But isn't God good? Intense prayer. If we want to see 
this, what we have here at Oikos, spread across the city, families of communities loving Jesus and loving each other. We want to see churches planted across this great city. We want to see churches planted across the world in this country. We need to be people of prayer, intense prayer. We looked at that as the missional task, didn't we? We saw that... Um, this is where I shouldn't click. There we go. My word, my head's gone for it. Um, starts with prayer. And today we're going to look at the role that we have in evangelism, telling other people about Jesus. Discipleship, helping one another in their journey to become more like Jesus. And then we're not going to have a chance to look at leadership development and multiplication in great detail, so I apologise. But we're going to focus on evangelism and discipleship because we looked at last week, didn't we? We saw that if the church doesn't do three things, no one else will do it. And we said that if the church doesn't evangelise, if we don't tell people about Jesus, no one else is going to do it. If we don't disciple one another, no one else is going to do it. No government, no, um, no um, startup programme, charity is going to do that. And they're not going to plant churches. Three things that we've been given to do and we need to do. And in a moment, in a little bit, I'm going to ask Shane and Mackenzie to come up, um, who are going to be joining us at the end of September, who are here with the team from the States. And they're, they're, they're going to be um, being part of us for a few months, for a few years, sorry. And then their plan is to go and plant out, go and start something new elsewhere. We want to see churches started, and that's our mandate as Christians, as a church, to be a missional church. And we're going to look at that today from the scriptures that we've just read. Evangelism, discipleship, and we want to see churches planted. So, that was a long introduction than I was planning, so we'll see how far we get through. Here we go. So, number one, we see a church in Antioch that is effective in evangelism. In an initial church, in a missional church, we want to be effective in evangelism. So, what we see here is they were telling other people about Jesus. It was a church. So, what happened is Antioch started because it spread, the news of Jesus spread, and a church was started in Antioch. You see, you can start a church, you can start a church without telling anybody about Jesus. It's possible. If you take our congregation here, split you in two, and we start meeting elsewhere, we've got two churches. Fine, isn't it? And that's not a bad thing necessarily. But the church at Antioch was birthed through new believers. The gospel being heard, the gospel being accepted, and churches being started. That's what we're passionate about. We want to see new churches started with new believers. We would love to see that. We'd love to see that, and we see that here. If we read it in verse 19, it says this. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. So it was staying among the Jews. However, some of them from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned so we see three things that happen with effective evangelism. First of all, they engage with the people and their culture. You see, um, some of them ha went and spoke to Greeks, not just the Jews. It went out to the Greeks. Their plan was to tell others about Jesus. And I think sometimes when I was thinking about this, it's tempting for us to only go to people like us and tell them about Jesus, isn't it? people that we get on with, people that are a little bit easier, people that are a little more similar to us. 
But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is to go out to everybody, whether they're like us or not. And it's to go cross cultures. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? We have our culture, somebody else has their culture. We don't necessarily always understand each other, but we're still to go see them. We can't pick and choose who we are to tell about Jesus. And it may mean disrupting our lives. It may well mean disrupting our lives. And I know we've got a number of missionaries um, in this room today that have disrupted their own lives to go and be in other cultures. Thank you for doing that. But it, it, it does mean, if we're going to share the gospel with other people and have effect, be effective in evangelism, it, it's going to mean disrupting our lives and reorientating our lives around other people. Different people, people that may be different than us. Thinking about where do they hang out? What language do they speak? What do they value in their culture? What's important to them? How can I learn what's important to them so I can make it important to me? And I can speak the gospel into that. I suppose that's something, the whole concept behind the ministry of the cafe where we have mums meet, we have baking, we have the cafe itself, we have English class, all those things going on, are we meet people from different cultures. We want to be able to share the good news with anybody that comes in, no matter who they are and where they're from. Whether that's community nights, whether that is mum's meat, baking, whatever it may be. That's what a wonderful opportunity we have. And not all of you get a chance to be part of it every single day. Um, but at times during the week, there are opportunities to come in and be part of what's going on. Some of us do. get to be part of it every day, Harry, and Carly, and Stella, and others. Um, but it's a great opportunity to meet people from different cultures and engage with them. But secondly, we also see that they had a, a level of gospel fluency. They had a level of gospel fluency. They, some of them, however, in verse 20, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And it's interesting here, they go to Antioch and they speak about the Lord Jesus, whereas in other places in Acts, most of the time it talks about Christ Jesus, isn't it? That's what we see in the Bible a lot, Christ Jesus, because to the Jews, they would have understood the Messiah, what the Christ is. But going to Jews, they talked about Christ Jesus. But going to the Greeks, they had no idea who the Messiah was. They talked about the Lord Jesus. They had a level of gospel fluency. They understood the gospel and how to speak to it into different cultures. I just want to encourage us to understand and know the gospel. And there's no better way than remembering our own testimony, remembering our own stories of what Jesus has done in your life. Something we did at staff team a few months ago was we set them the challenge, set the team a challenge of, can you write your testimony in one minute? Who you were before you knew Jesus? What happened when you met Jesus and the transformation that's made in your life? Your stories are so powerful. I've heard so many stories in this past couple of weeks that have just blown me away, the power of their stories. And there'll be some part of your story that will speak into somebody else's story when they're discovering about Jesus. I firmly believe that. There'll be part of the gospel that really took hold in your life when you came to faith, that has transformed you as well, that will speak into somebody else's life if they're searching and they're desiring to follow Jesus. Maybe they don't know it yet. Your stories are powerful. You can learn the gospel so, so, so effectively and so fluently through knowing your testimony, your story. So I'm going to set you a challenge. Either over lunch today, are you able to share your story with someone? Or are you willing to listen to somebody's story? Can you tell me your story? I'd love to hear it. It's so precious. Knowing each other's stories are amazing. And then try this week. Could you share your testimony with somebody? The difference that Jesus has made to your life with a level of gospel fluency. And then thirdly, 
effective evangelism, we see that um, God's sovereign hand has to be in it all. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. See, you can go and be amongst people, you can personally engage them, you can reuntake your life around them, but if the Lord's hand is not with you, nothing's going to happen. But the good news is I believe the Lord's hand is with us. I believe he is with us. I believe he's with you. I believe that he wants to see people come to know him. So I just want to encourage you, and how encouraging it is to know that the Lord is with us. We seek to tell others about him. We may feel inept at doing it. Me. We may feel um, scared about doing it. We may feel a whole host of things. But one thing we can't feel is that the Lord's hand is not with you. It is with you. He wants people to know him. He wants to use us in that plan as well. So, we see effective evangelism, and we want to be a church that is effective in evangelism, a church that isn't about gathering, just inviting people to church to say, oh, we can hear the preacher preach, uh, preach the gospel. No, we've got 50, 60 people in this room. It's all your roles to be empowered to go out and share the gospel. It's much more effective than one person standing at the front. I want to encourage you. Who could you share a little bit of the truth of the gospel with this week? What steps do you want to grow in being more effective in your evangelism and telling people about Jesus? Maybe you can grab somebody and ask for help. I'd, I'd really like to learn. How, tell me your story. Tell me how you tell people about it. Tell me how you go up to people in the workplace and talk to them or, or what you say when they come and ask you about Jesus. I encourage you. Help one another do it. And then, um, secondly, we see this is a church, a missional church that has dynamic discipleship. Dynamic discipleship. When we talk about discipleship, we're talking, talking about increasingly becoming more like Jesus and helping others do the same too. So in verse 22, we read this, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. There's something crazy is going on in Antioch, and they're like, what is going on? Is this legit? We need to go and check this out. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You see, the news of what was happening in Antioch had spread. Jerusalem was like, what is going on? We better send um, Barnabas to check that it's legit. So they do. And then when he gets there, he's like, wow, this is good. This is good. So what does he do? He encourages them. After all, he is the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. And he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He, he builds them up, and he recognizes that they need something in addition to him. They need someone else. He can do so much. And so what he does, he goes, right, I know someone who can help you. I know someone will be perfect. And then he goes to collect Saul from Tarsus. He goes and gets Saul. He says this um, in verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So as you read through the book of Acts, you see that it starts off with Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Saul also has his name changed to Paul. But what happens later on in the book of Acts, it shifts around and it becomes Paul 
and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas. So what happens is Barnabas doesn't stay the leader. He hands it over to Paul. Paul becomes the leader. Barnabas could, be, could have thought, I'm going to build my reputation here. I'm going to make this church about me. But he realized they need someone else. They needed Paul. They needed him to take over and, and to ensure that they're teaching them well. And, he's, and so he understood their need for discipleship. And so there is something about the humbleness of Barnabas here that he sees a need for somebody else. And he hands over the reins. He said, look, come and help me. Fact, you take over the reins and I'll support you. But there's this discipleship going on. There's this dynamic discipleship. There's leadership change. There's, there's more people coming to faith, and there's a need to see them taught for a whole year, teaching them bang, 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 just teaching them the truths of the gospel time and time again. So this is something that we're passionate about here at Oikos. We see it's really important that we're in the Word together, that we're shaped by it. And so we encourage people to break off into into men, into women, into groups of two or three, in something called DNA groups where we read the Bible together. And the plan is that we follow something called the AIM pattern, accountability or transparency, intimacy, and then we talk about multiplication. And we see it here in these passages. We see it here in verse 23 about accountability. They send, church, they send Barnabas to Antioch to check that it's sound, what's going on. There's accountability there. They want to make sure that what's going on is correct and what's being taught is correct. And what does he do when he gets there to ensure that? He encourages them to remain true in their hearts. Remain true. Remain true to the Lord. And I just want to encourage us that that is the job of every single one of us in here, to help each other. Remain true to the Lord. Remain true to the Lord. And we can't do that. We can't do that unless we're in deep discipleship relationships, helping one another, encouraging one another in the word of God. Remain true to the Lord. How do we do that? How do we help one another remain true? Now, this is um, something from the navigators that they use. It's a discipleship wheel that you may have seen before. And we see here that at the center of it is Christ. He is the hub. Everything is founded on him. We remain true by keeping Jesus at the center and helping one another do that. Keeping him as the, the thing that is the most single, most defining person, the most influence in our lives. That's first and foremost our job as disciples of one another, helping each other keep Jesus at the center. That's a great question to ask ourselves. Is that something that you're doing? Is Jesus at the center of everything for you? Is something else or someone else, is someone else vying for that spot? There always will be. There'll always be something vying for that spot. We need to help each other keep Jesus at the center. But remaining true, also we see on that, is about being in fellowship. We help each other remain true to the Lord by being in fellowship, being in close proximity with one another, looking in and speaking into one another's life using the word of God. So important. Do we get into the word of God and open the word with other people? Do we have it challenge us each and every single day or every single week? And also, prayer. Prayer crucial in this, and witnessing, telling others about him. It's part of our faith. As we, as we seek to read the word, we cannot read the word, leave the word, and then just keep it to ourselves. There's always a call for us to do when we come to the Bible. How else can we share what we've learned in our Bible study that week with someone else, or in our quiet time that week? How can we share it with a brother or sister in Christ to encourage them? How can we then go and tell someone else that we've learned, someone who doesn't know Jesus? I have to say that 
through deep discipleship over the, the last 10 years or so, um, I would be, I would have made some incredibly poor decisions without having some brothers that were close to me speaking into my life, using the word to say, look, Dan, I'm not sure, like, I don't see this in scripture. I don't see this as a good thing in the scriptures for you. I don't see this as you obeying in this situation. What does obeying look like? Spend some time down thinking about what obeying looks like in this and come back and let's chat. There's just a level of accountability or transparency. And it's not necessarily to, just to each other. It's this idea of, of remaining true to the Lord with all our hearts. This is not about me saying, well, you should be doing this. This is, oh, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You need to do this. This is about us generally believing that we are helping one another to obey the Lord with all our hearts. We're calling people to obey Jesus, not to obey us. Um, okay. Well, very quickly. I think I might just finish there, actually. I have a little time for something else. So, I just want to, hopefully, this has been clear this last six weeks. Our heart as a church is to love Jesus more. Our goal is to then live lives that are fruitful and for him, being on his mission and telling others about Jesus and helping one another in, their, in this hard life that it is following Jesus. We believe that as a church, we best do that through gospel, communi- gospel communities, <laughs> living in close proximity with one another, meeting each other regularly, being in touch with each other throughout the week, being on mission together, and something that's going to be happening in September um, and we're going to be working through this in September, is some of the gospel communities are going to be changing slightly. We're actually increasing the number of gospel communities that we have. Currently we have four. We're looking at having five or six. And the desire and the goal is for um, us to be rooted and centered on Jesus Christ. And then also being tied and knit together by having a missional focus. Each group will have either a ministry focus or just a a focus around a people group and just being committed to be like, I know who the people I'm witnessing to together. There's something powerful about being intentional with who you're reaching and having other people with you, helping support you as you do that. So in September, we're going to be going through that process ready for the end of September where they will, they will kind of um, launch or relaunch. Some may stay the same and may look incredibly similar to what they do now. Um, some may change slightly. Some may look completely different. Don't know at the moment. That'll be something we'll be working out over the next couple of months. But I just want to encourage you in that, that this is a good, good thing. This is where we're planning for multiplication, that we, we want the opportunity to have this 14 people in the church that aren't part of a GC, 14 adults that want to be part of a, a gospel community and can't at the moment because we don't have space. So we want to plan for multiplication, plan for um, more people coming to faith that can join these groups and then we can multiply out again. So it's an exciting thing to be part of. It's an exciting time. Um, and so we'll spend some time in September praying through all this. But, but before we finish, I just want to invite Shane and Mackenzie up just to um, tell you a little... Sorry, I've, I've not given you a heads up at all about this, but I'm assuming that over the last 12 months as you've been raising support that you will have said some of these things um, to different churches. So just over the next five minutes or so, just sharing um, about who you are, why you're coming to Oikos, and what you're... And what, what next for you? Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Yeah, that, that's...